Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to Ask a Catholic Dude. My name is Nick, and I am that Catholic Dude. Thanks for tuning in, taking any questions, comments, concerns you might have on the Catholic Church, faith, scripture, tradition, anything at all having to deal with Catholicism, feel free to give me a call. Uh, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, yesterday, Anchor came out with an app, or an uh, update to the app, where stations are now able to put up episodes that do not disappear after 24 hours. Um, so you can, you guys can see the first of that, which was a uh, answering a question by uh, one of one of the listeners. If you go to the episodes tab um, on my page, as a Catholic dude, so you can check that out. And um, I'm gonna keep adding some stuff from the archives every day for the next uh, the next little while. It and interspersed to get with some new stuff as well. The f- next one I'm gonna do came from. About three or so weeks ago, but probably about three weeks ago, uh, talking about Eastern Catholicism. So, if you guys are unfamiliar with Eastern Catholicism, what it is in relation to the Catholic Church at large, or what it is in relation to the Roman or Latin Catholic Church, this might be an episode for you guys to look at. So, look for that coming up in the next few minutes, and stay tuned for more, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Ask a Catholic Dude. I am that Catholic dude, Nick is the name, and I'm here talking about anything and everything having to do with Catholic Christianity. Uh, I would be delighted to take any of your calls, questions, comments on anything having to do, deal with the Catholic Church, Scripture, tradition, uh, the whole nine yards, everything. Uh, so please feel free to give me a call, um, and thank you again for listening. Um, today I'd like to bring up a subject... Um, that really doesn't seem to be on the radar of very many Christians at all. And that includes Catholic Christians also, uh, surprisingly enough. At least that's what I've noticed in my experience. Um, okay, so what I'm about to say here is going to be mind-blowing. So I want you all to make sure that you're sitting down and you're, you're holding on to something steady. This could be potentially earth-shattering, what I'm about to share with you. Okay. All right, here we go. What if I were to tell you that not all Catholics are Roman? Think about that for a second. Does that sound confusing? Not all Catholics are Roman Catholics. What I mean to say is that, what if I were to tell you this as well? What if I were to tell you this? There are 24 different ways of being Catholic. And what I mean by that is that there are 24 distinct ways one can be a Catholic Christian while still maintaining fidelity to the Pope in Rome, that is, uh, submitting to the Pope as the Vicar of Christ, the representative of Jesus Christ on earth until his return uh, in the second coming. Um, There are 24 different ways to do this, and it turns out that out of these 24 different ways, Roman Catholicism, that is, Latin Catholicism, is the, is by far the largest, uh, group of these, uh, ways to be Catholic. And what I mean is that there are, when I say ways, there are actually 24 different churches, different particular churches that make up Catholicism that are all in submission to the Pope in Rome. Um, now, one of those churches is Western. 
Roman Catholicism, Roman or Latin Catholicism, we can call it. Uh, both both mean the same thing. Um, it, it seems that today in the media, um, anywhere you go, you know, people talk about Roman Catholicism, and when they mention that, they're 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 kind of wrong in what they're saying. It's 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 a matter of semantics, yes, but it's not totally accurate. When people talk about the, the Roman Catholic Church, they're usually talking about the Universal Catholic Church of all Catholics, all 24 of these different ways of being Catholic united together. So one of those, and they're and they're all united to the Roman Pontiff. They're all united to the Pope in Rome, but only one of them is Western, so to speak. The other 23, the other 23 ways of being Catholic, the other 23 particular churches are what we call the Eastern Catholic churches. And all 23 of these particular churches, save for two of them, except for two of them, um, all at one time or another had broken away from the Catholic Church, but have come back into communion with the Church at various points in history. Uh, such as the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, which came back into union with Rome in the year 1595 in what was called the Union of Brest, uh, which was a city in Europe where this treaty was signed. Um, and I bring this up because um, yesterday I was talking a little bit about, you know, what do I enjoy most about being Catholic. Um, and I mentioned that my family belongs, some of my family belongs to the Byzantine Rite of Catholicism. Um, the Byzantine Rite has 14 of these particular churches. Um, rite, R-I-T-E. Uh, it's a, it's a way, a rite is a way that a church kind of does its, its practices in a different way. Uh, but still maintaining fidelity to the Pope. And my family, Part of my family belongs to the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church. And I had a caller call in, Jim, uh, who kind of started talking a little bit more about that. And I'm going to let his call play here now, and I'll answer back to that once uh, his call is done. And maybe we'll go into a little bit deeper discussion about the Eastern Catholic Churches, particularly the Ukrainian. Hey, Catholic dude, um, just so you know, uh, I thought I'd answer the question, why are you a Catholic or why are you not a Catholic? But before I do that, let me just say that I'm glad that you were raised as a Roman Catholic, uh, a cradle Catholic, because I think it must have been a real blessing to be able to raise in a home where faith is lived and Christ is honored. Uh, I myself was raised Roman Catholic, but I only made it to First Communion and Confession, never having received confirmation. And like many Catholics, I drifted away from going to Mass and was a Catholic in name only. When I was a teenager, I started watching Billy Graham and on television and eventually wandered into a Pentecostal church. Uh, I stayed there for 10 years, really learning the Bible. I was grateful for being with them because my faith became alive then. Um, but uh, like many Protestants, I soon discovered that there was kind of a lack of depth there, so I started searching. Now, I'm going to have to continue this in the, the call because I've only got four seconds left. So, wait for the next call. As I said, I felt like Protestant lacked a real depth, depth to it. So, I decided that what I needed to do was study history to find out what the early church was like. And I was shocked to discover that in the beginning there was just one church, each ran by local bishops. I soon found out about the Great Schism of 1054 where East and West split. 
And for me, it was either you had a choice. You either had to pick the Eastern Church as the one Catholic Church or the Roman Church. And for a variety of reasons, I ended up with the Eastern Church believing that they had been faithful to the teaching of the Apostles. And even though Rome is a historical church, tracing its um, beginnings back to St. Peter, I came to believe that its gradual growth of papal power and authority, its belief in the development of doctrine, and the addition of the filioque, you know, and the son for the Nicene Creed was incorrect. So, in my view, uh, the Eastern Church would remain faithful to the Apostles, and that's why I believe that the Eastern Church is correct. I wish I'd give you more than a minute to respond so I wouldn't have to keep giving these little parts here. Anyway, so I said I ended up siding with the East, and even though I am not yet a member of the, uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church uh, for family and personal reasons, I do consider that the Eastern Church to be the fullness of the Church. And while I have a great deal of respect for the Roman Church, and I mourn that the split is taking place, I believe that the Eastern Orthodox Church is correct and unchanging in its doctrines and is faithful to the Apostles' teaching. That being said, um, I'm so grateful that I was raised Roman Catholic because I ended up uh, realizing that I had some uh, place to go when I realized that Protestantism was uh, incomplete. So I started searching back uh, in the past to find out about the historical churches. And uh, may God unify our churches soon. Maranatha. Hey, that Catholic dude again. Uh, thank you, Jim, for your call. Um, I really appreciate it, and that's that's really awesome to uh, know more about your your faith journey, um, because I think it's I think it's really common to see many non-Catholic Christians, specifically Protestants, uh, they come to realize that there is something lacking. A, a continuity is lacking with the early church, the early Christians, and the church that Jesus founded. And I'm glad that you were able to realize that um, after after listening to a lot of Billy Graham. Um, it's, it's awesome that you came to that conclusion. I think it's, it's something interesting that uh, blessed John Henry Cardinal Newman said uh, at the end of the 19th century. He said that to... And I'm going to paraphrase him, paraphrase him here. He said that to... No history, to be deep in history, is to cease to be Protestant. And I think that's exactly what happened with you, is that after you read all that, after you found out the truth of the local churches, of how St. Ignatius of Antioch said, do nothing without the bishop, I think after you learned that, it's like, wow, well, now I have to, I have to face the truth. Um, so I guess what I would like to do now, though, is go a little bit deeper into what I started talking about today regarding uh, Eastern Catholicism. And I guess this is kind of the next few segments here. Divide this up into a, a couple of segments here and make this maybe kind of more like traditional talk radio um, where we kind of explore maybe a little bit more of what Eastern Catholicism is. Because this is the question I'd like to pose to Jim um, as well as to any other maybe Eastern Orthodox or Oriental Orthodox uh, Christians that are listening. Um, have you ever considered the Eastern Catholic Churches as the... How do we word this? 
as the holders of the truth, can the Eastern Catholic churches bear the truth? Um, because in truth, like in, in, in all honesty, the Eastern Orthodox churches, and when I say Eastern Orthodox, I'm basically talking about the Byzantines. I think we can agree on that. Uh, like the Greek Orthodox or the Russian Orthodox or the Ukrainian Orthodox. Um, when we talk about the Eastern Orthodox churches, we see that they are virtually, virtually the same thing as the Eastern Catholic churches. I know many Eastern Catholics, many Eastern Catholics of the Byzantine Rite, that describe themselves as Orthodox Christians in communion with Rome. Uh, that they, their, their traditions are completely and wholly Orthodox. Uh, and in that, I'm saying capital O, capital O, Orthodox. That their that their their beliefs are completely Orthodox, yet they submit to the authority of the Holy Father in Rome. Um, so let's dig a little bit deeper into that. Um, I'm just curious to know if if you are Eastern Orthodox like Jim, or if you've come to accept that uh, the Eastern Orthodox Church is the true faith. Um, have you ever considered Eastern Catholicism? And um, like I said, uh, I, I myself come from. I, while I am a Latin Catholic, a Roman Catholic, my my family is Ukrainian Greek Catholic. Uh, they belong to the Ukrainian Catholic Church, which is one of those twenty three Eastern Catholic churches. Other examples of Eastern Catholic churches would be uh, the Ruthenian. Catholic Church, or the Bulgarian Catholic Church, the Russian Catholic Church, and those are all in the Byzantine, right? And then you have another liturgical tradition, such as the Syrian rites, which include the Syro-Malabar Catholic Church, or the Syrian Catholic Church, and then you even have the Armenian Catholic Church. Many different ways to be Catholic, yet they all proclaim the same faith, um, and so let's dig a little bit deeper into that. What I want to do now is read from a catechism. Not the universal catechism of the Catholic Church, but a different one. I'm going to get into that in just a second here. So real quick, guys, before I get into the the catechism that I was talking about, um, I would like to just reiterate how similar the Catholic and Eastern Orthodox liturgies are. Um, I often attend Divine Liturgy at a Ruthenian Catholic Church. Um, and by divine liturgy, I mean that that's, that, that's what all Eastern Christians call their liturgical service, their church services. You know, Roman Catholics call theirs the Holy Mass. Uh, it's called the divine liturgy in Eastern Catholicism, both, both Orthodox and, both Orthodox and Catholic. Um, now the only difference, the only difference that is even noticeable in these two liturgies is that at the intercessions where the priest and deacon pray for all the different people, right before praying for the eparch and the metropolitan and the bishop, um, the Pope of Rome is prayed for. So they say, and for Francis, Pope of Rome, we pray to the Lord. Lord have mercy, we answer. Um, that is the only difference. Everything else that happens in an Eastern Catholic church is of the Byzantine rite, everything is exactly the same as you would see in the Eastern Orthodox Church. When I say Eastern Orthodox, I'm I'm specifically talking about um 
I'm specifically talking about Byzantines, such as Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox. Um, that that's what I'm mirroring mirroring here now. Um, mirroring. I can't talk right now. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that that's what I'm talking about. Is that the Greek the Greek Orthodox Church, the Russian Cap, the Russian Orthodox Church? Those are they, they, they're almost exactly the same as the Byzantine Catholic churches. Um, so, what's also interesting is that um, when I attend this Ruthenian Catholic parish, which is just 15 minutes away from me, um, I've gone there for the sacrament or the holy mystery of confession of repentance. Um, it's done exactly the same way as it would be done in an Orthodox church. Um, I've also attended the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete during Great Lent. And it's exactly done the same as it's done in an Orthodox Church. We all prostrate fully before before God. We sing awesome hymns um, in beautiful chant, and also during Holy Week on Good Friday, just as the Orthodox venerate the burial shroud, so too do Byzantine Catholics, Ukrainian Catholics, and Ruthenian Catholics. We also get on our knees and walk to venerate the burial shroud, which bears the image of Jesus Christ on it. Um, it's, it's all exactly the same. So outside of maybe just a few key points of doctrine, just, just a few points of doctrine, and the primacy of the Pope, Eastern Orthodoxy and Eastern Catholicism are the same. Um, and so that, that's why like, I, I want to bring up that question. Is Eastern Catholicism true? Is, is that the bearer of truth um, for all those that are attached to the Byzantine liturgical tradition? Um, so w- what I would like to get into now is this, this whole idea of this, this catechism. Um, th- what the catechism is, is it's, it's a law of prayer, a law of belief. I, I would say that um, I, I don't want to get too, de- too deep into... Uh, uh, development of doctrine. I know that that Jim had brought that up um, because I, I also think that, uh, just as a side note, I think that the Orthodox have developed doctrine over time as well. Like one thing that pops up to mind right now is how in Orthodoxy second or third marriages are allowed, um, whereas in the Catholic Church it's always been stressed that marriage is indissoluble. Um, so I mean that, that, that's where I see you know one kind of parallel there. But what a catechism does is it lays down the law of the church because Catholics believe in a three-legged stool. And so do Orthodox to a lesser extent. A three-legged stool to stand on. They believe in the three-legged stool of sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium of the church. And the magisterium of the church is the teaching authority of the church. And that teaching authority puts out the catechism. And we got the newest universal catechism in the 1990s from the Catholic Church. And in that catechism, the Pope wanted local churches around the world to make their own catechism. Well, it turns out just last year, the Ukrainian Catholic Church released their own catechism. And I'd like to make a few quotations from that Ukrainian Catholic catechism. So let's listen. Here we go. So I'm, I'm going to read about six selections here um, having to do with a couple of the things that Jim had brought up in his call. Uh, first, I want to get into uh, briefly the filioque. Um, and again, I'm reading this from the Catechism of the Ukrainian Catholic Church. Its title is uh, Christ Our Pascha. Um, great book. I just bought it right after Christmas. 
Um, and I think it came out in August of last year. And the first printing, it like flew off the shelves. Um, I have a cousin who is a Ukrainian Catholic priest, uh, a married priest, actually. And uh, him and his wife, he just got ordained uh, two years ago. Um, and him and his wife are expressing, or, uh, expressing, him and his wife are expecting their fourth child in a matter of weeks. Uh, so if all of you could please keep, uh, uh, this, this holy priest and his family, uh, in your prayers during this time. Um, but I remember him telling me, like, yeah, dude, you should have bought this, like, a while ago. This, this book has flown off the shelves. Um, and luckily, right around Christmas time, uh, a second printing was made and I was able to purchase it. So, in this catechism, again, the title of it is called Christ Our Pascha. If anyone wants to look it up online, um, I'm gonna read here from, uh, the section on the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father. Um, this has to deal with the filioque, which is a part in the Nicene Creed, um, which was added, uh, and I do admit it was added after the Council of Nicaea in the year 325. Um, and let's, let's delve into this a little bit and see what Eastern Catholics think about the, the addition of the filioque. I want to pre- preface this with, with one thing. Remember how I said that the liturgy, the divine liturgy in the Eastern Catholic churches is exactly the same as Orthodox divine liturgy except for uh, the petition of the Pope. In Eastern Catholic churches, like at the Ukrainian Catholic parish I go to sometimes or the Ruthenian Catholic parish I go to, the filioque is not said. We say, I believe in the Holy Spirit um, who proceeds from the Father. We do not say proceeds from the Father and the Son um, as we do in the Latin church. Um, so let's see what the Ukrainian Catholic Catechism has to say about this. Um, I'm going to read from uh, paragraph 97 under the Holy Spirit who proceeds from the Father section. So paragraph 97. In teaching about the person of the Holy Spirit, the fathers of the church emphasize first and foremost what differentiates the person of the Holy Spirit from the persons of the Father and the Son. That is, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. In conciliar, unified fashion, they profess this belief through the symbol of faith. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father. On the procession of the Holy Spirit, St. Cyril of Alexandria teaches, the Holy Spirit is the one who pours forth from God the Father through the Son and shows to us his existence in the image of breath, in the image of breath of the mouth. Now here we go into paragraph 98. The Holy Fathers made a distinction between the interior life of the Most Holy Trinity and the, rev- and the revelation of the Trinity in creation. In the Most Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit proceeds in Ukrainian. Uh, this word is ikshodoit, I believe. I might be butchering that a little bit. But it says that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, the one and only source of the Most Holy Trinity. When the Holy Fathers spoke about the action of the person of the Trinity in creation, they professed that the Father sends the Holy Spirit through the Son. St. Cyril of Alexandria, professing the very same faith, explained the sending of the Holy Spirit through the Son as the fact that the Holy Spirit comes from the Father and the Son. Now this is the key point. This is the key point right here. So here we go back into paragraph 98. This interpretation was emphasized by the fathers of the Council of Florence, an ecumenical council of the Catholic Church, held in uh, 1439. And quote from this council, 
Some were saying the Holy Spirit comes from the Father and the Son. Others saying the Holy Spirit comes from the Father through the Son. All were aiming at the same meaning in different words. This opinion was also expressed in the articles of the Union of Breast. The Holy Spirit proceeds from one source, as if from a wellspring, from the Father through the Son. So here's those words again that was quoted in paragraph 98 from the Council of Florence. Some were saying the Holy Spirit comes from the Father and the Son. Others saying the Holy Spirit comes from the Father through the Son. All were aiming at the same meaning in different words. So I think this is really important. Um, The filioque, I agree, should not really have been added, but it's not... It can be defended. It can be defended. I'm not going to get into that right now because, as the Council of Florence says, both were trying to describe the same thing but with different words. So that's why in Catholicism you can be Catholic in 24 different ways. One of those ways that you can be fully Catholic and still hold on to that Byzantine tradition is that you can you, you can omit the filioque you can actually say during the recitation of the Nicene Creed in any Byzantine right Catholic Church, like the Ukrainian Catholic Church or the Ruthenian Catholic Church, you can say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Son, and or, I'm sorry, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and only the Father. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that. Um, and next I'd like to get into a little bit um, about what the the Ukrainian Catholic Church actually is um, and why it submits to the authority of the Pope. Um, and so I, I just want to quote um, a few sections here, uh, a few, a few, brief, uh, a few brief sections, uh, five of them, about what this exactly means. That how how can a a Byzantine rite, how how can a a Byzantine Christian community profess a belief in the primacy of the Pope in Rome. Um, so I want to go into the uh, the chapter heading is The Church is One. Uh, the Church is One Holy Catholic and Apostolic. And this is from paragraph 285 of the Ukrainian Catholic, uh, Ukrainian Catholic Catechism, Christ is Our Pascha. So here's paragraph 285. The mystery of God's life, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, Colossians uh, chapter 1 verse 26, was revealed to humankind in the incarnate word of God. In the same way, the church of Christ, the mystical body of Christ, becomes visibly manifest in self-governing churches. It is in these, and formed out of them, that the one and unique Catholic church exists. Now, skipping to paragraph 287, uh, but before I do that, um, self-governing church, that's another word for particular church. I'll, remember how I said that there's 24 particular churches in the, within the universal Catholic faith within the Universal Catholic Church. The biggest of these particular self-governing churches is the Latin, or Roman Catholic Church. The next biggest would be, uh, or at least, yeah, the next biggest would be the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, and then so on and so on. So let's get into paragraph 287 here. Uh, The unity of faith among self-governing churches is made manifest in the common profession of the doctrinal teaching of the ecumenical councils. The one faith of the church, the body of Christ, is the source from which flows the common participation of the faithful in the holy mysteries. This happens especially in the Eucharist, when the faithful partaking of the body and blood of the Lord in Holy Communion themselves become one body. And here it's quoting 
uh, from St. Irenaeus of Lyons in his Against Heresies. Our way of thinking is attuned to the Eucharist, and the Eucharist in turn confirms our way of thinking. Unquote. For every self-governing church, the standard for orthodox teaching, the rule of faith, is holy scripture and holy tradition, with the ministry of the Bishop of Rome serving to guarantee the preservation of orthodox teaching and fidelity to it. And here it has a footnote uh, suggesting readers to see a certain section of St. Irenaeus of Lyons' uh, Against Heresies. And please remember, uh, for those that don't know, St. Irenaeus of Lyons was a uh, second century bishop. Um, he was actually uh, removed only two generations from the apostles. He uh, learned the faith from St. Polycarp, and St. Polycarp was a disciple of St. John the Apostle. Um, so I think it's interesting here that the Ukrainian Catholic Church uh, professes that the Bishop of Rome serves to guarantee the preservation of Orthodox teaching and fidelity to it. So while the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church still sees itself as self-governing, you know, it has a, a major archbishop, which is pretty much equal to a patriarch, um, you know, and it, and it totally uh, is autonomous in providing for its eparchies and archeparchies. Um, they still proclaim that fidelity of, to the Bishop of Rome, uh, that he, he, he guarantees that preservation of orthodoxy, um, of correct teaching. Um, and, and so I just have three more quick selections I'd like to read uh, for your consideration as we see why some Eastern Christians are Catholic. So in this next selection from the Ukrainian Catholic Catechism, I want the listener to notice how uh, similar this sounds to what what Jim mentioned regarding Eastern Orthodoxy. Uh, about the the bishops that uh, governed the church uh, and still govern the church today, um, but see how the Ukrainian Catholic Church puts this into context with the the Pope in Rome. So I'm going to read from uh, a little bit from paragraph 291, uh, and this is this is in the section of uh, the Church is Catholic. Uh, this is still going into the four marks of the Church that the Church is one holy Catholic and apostolic. Um, this is going into the mark, the, the specific mark of the church that the church is Catholic. So here's from, from paragraph 291 um, as to why Ukrainian Catholics submit to the authority of the Pope. In the Eucharist celebrated by the bishop, as well as through a common faith, every local church enters into communion with other local churches. Local churches in communion with one another form a self-governing church headed by one who presides, a bishop, archbishop, metropolitan, or patriarch. The first among self-governing churches is the Church of Rome, because its presider is the Pope of Rome, the successor of the Apostle Peter. He is the teacher and the standard of the apostolic faith. To him the Lord has granted the gift of infallibility in matters of faith and morals, when proclaimed ex cathedra. Only when proclaimed ex cathedra is the Pope infallible. That's my little... Insert here. Now getting back into the paragraph 291. Uh, the Pope does this in order to preserve the purity and immuta- immutability of divine teaching. In order to preserve the purity and immutability... Im- <laughs> I'm getting all over myself. In order to preserve the purity and immutability of divine teaching, the Lord has granted this gift of infallibility. As the Apostle Peter manifested his love for Christ more than others and received from Christ the mandate to shepherd his flock, see the Gospel of John chapter 21 verses 15 through 18, so the Roman see of Peter presides in love 
as St. Ignatius of Antioch said in his epistle to the Romans, uh, which presides in love is quoted from. And this maintains a primacy among self-governing churches. This primacy is fulfilled through the Petrine ministry of the Bishop of Rome. Our church, that is the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, professes the Pope's ministry by titling him the Most Holy Universal Pontiff. So, then that's it from 291. So we see here that the Ukrainian Catholics believe they are justified in believing that the Bishop of Rome uh, has this, this, this special charism uh, of of you know confirming the brethren of having a primacy among all of the self-governing churches. So there's still deference paid to the local bishops, but they make clear clear here that the Pope in Rome has precedence overall. Uh, yet they still maintain that Orthodox heritage, that, Byzant- that Byzantine heritage. Because remember, like I said, I know many Orthodox. I'm sorry, I know many Eastern Catholics that profess to be as they call themselves, Orthodox Christians in communion with Rome. Um, and now I just want to look at uh, another paragraph here. Um, this is from the heading, the subheading, Self-Governing Nature of the Ukrainian Catholic Church and Her Communion with Other Self-Governing Churches. Um, so this is from, uh, I'm just going to read a little bit here from paragraph uh, 302, um, about what what exactly it means to be a self-governed church, what it means to be a particular church. Um, and I'm going to do that in the next part, because it looks like I have less than a minute here. <laughs> be right back. So what exactly is a self-governing church uh, within the Catholic Church? So here's how the Ukrainian Catholic Church uh, understands itself. Uh, this is from paragraph 302 of uh, Christ Our Pascha, the Catechism of the Ukrainian Catholic Church. The particular nature of the self-governing Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church can be described in the following way. The particularity of our church lies in her unity with the past, her unity as a church in both Ukraine and in the diaspora, the oneness of mind with her patriarch, and her unity with the universal church and her head, the successor of the holy apostle Peter. In accordance with her, particu- with her particular self-governing nature, our church possesses a synodal structure, or synodal structure. I always forget how to say that word, synod. <laughs> The Synod of Bishops holds the highest legislative and judicial authority in the Church. It fulfills its ministry to the people of God in matters pertaining to teaching the faith, liturgical life, and pastoral governance. The Synod of Bishops is presided over by the Patriarch, the head and father of the self-governing particular Church. Uh, and that's it from paragraph 302. So it, it, it notes there how the Ukrainian Church is united through its head, the Holy Apostle Peter, yet its own synod of bishops is presided over by the patriarch. Um, so it's the, the the level of hierarchy is multi-tiered, but still the Pope is at the highest. Um, and here, in uh, the, la- the last selection I want to read from is from paragraph 307, which is uh, under the subheading, Development of Ecclesial Communion Within the Kievian Metropolitanate. Um, 
this is where I think we really see the synthesis between the Ukrainian Catholic Church and the Universal Catholic Church as a whole, and why the Ukrainian Catholic Church sees itself as fully Catholic, but still at the same time, as I just read in paragraph 302, uh, fully committed to its tradition uh, throughout the ages, um, both before and after the Great Schism of 1054. So here's from paragraph 307. Born in the baptism of St. Vladimir, the Metropolitanate of Kiev became the daughter church of the Church of Constantinople, and through her remained remained in communion with the Church of Rome and other self-governing churches within the Universal Catholic Church. Despite the break in communion between the Roman and Constantinopolitan churches, that is the Byzantine Church, the Kievian Metropolitanate remained in communion with both churches. In 1596, through the Union of Brest, the Kievian Metropolitanate, faithful to her ancient traditions, reconfirmed her communion with the Church of Rome. Thus, the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church is the direct heir to the Kievian Metropolitanate in communion with the Church of Rome. So, the Ukrainian Catholic Church sees no break, no break at all, um, from, from, from Catholicism. Um, it sees a unbroken line of succession still, even though there, there were disagreements in the past, it sees itself as the rightful heir to that Kievian metropolitanate. Um, and I just like people like Jim to, uh, consider, I guess my big question after all this is, is it possible, or first I would like to ask, have you before today looked into the Eastern Catholic churches? And the second question would be, is it possible that since you are drawn to Eastern Christianity, is it possible that the fullness of the truth resides in the Catholic Church, specifically in that expression of Byzantine Catholicism? Is it possible? Um, and one last thing I'd like Jim to consider. I hope you do call again, Jim. I'd love to talk with you more. Um, I, I noticed you said you haven't actually entered the Eastern Orthodox Church yet. Um, remember that I said back yesterday that my favorite thing about being Catholic, about belonging to an apostolic Christian church, is that I can receive the Eucharist. If you do believe in the Eucharist and you believe that what Jesus said is true, that you do not have life within you unless you receive the Eucharist, shouldn't that move you to want to receive the Eucharist as Catholics believe that the Orthodox do have a valid Eucharist? Um, I really do hope that you are moved to receive the Eucharist soon um, and hopefully in the Catholic Church, but I hope that you consider what I said here um, and I would love to hear from you again. Thanks, guys. It was good, uh, good talking with you all. The audio...